0: We have two Bible readings today. The first one is from Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1 and verses 9 to 13. You shall make for yourselves no idols and erect no carved images or pillars, and you shall not place figured stones in your land to worship at them. For I am the Lord your God. I will look with favour upon you and make you fruitful and multiply you and I will maintain my covenant with you. You shall eat old grain long stored and you shall have to clear out the old to make way for the new. I will place my dwelling in your midst and I shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be their slaves no more. I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to 7, verse 1. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is there between light and darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial, Or what does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch nothing unclean. Then I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and of spirit. Making holiness perfect in the fear of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I'm so thankful for those who do kids' talks here. They're so good, um, they should be preachers. <laughs> Um, I've been aware I've been suffering from preacher's creep, which means basically my sermons have been getting longer and longer. So (laughs) I'm probably going to do something that a lot of preachers don't do. I'm going to time myself, give myself 20 minutes, no more, and uh, we'll see how, how we go. The time is on. Now the focus of today's sermon is uh, Paul's command to the Corinthians, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. And uh, that command kind of, uh, basically the rest of the passage all all, uh, feeds on from that. And we're going to look at how this passage is understood or how it's been understood uh, and how it is applicable to us. And if time permits... I'll touch on another possible interpretation. So first, how has it been understood? I don't think I've ever heard this passage preached on, but I've certainly heard it being quoted and cited from one Christian to another, and I would have cited it as well. How do we understand this uh, do not be mismatched with unbelievers? Uh, Well, most often... Uh, Christians have used it as a, a firm encouragement uh, to other Christians to not date non-Christians. Anyone heard of it used that way? There's a lot of nots, a lot of amens out there. Um, so, you know, it's like don't, don't date non-Christians. Another way that it is used is by, say, independent churches. Churches that have broken away from the mainline churches. And they will quote um, from verse 17, Therefore come out from them, a.k.a. Anglicans, a.k.a. Presbyterians, a.k.a. whoever. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. And so you get breakaway churches that want to be a pure church. Uh, Another way that this passage is used is um, for Christians to, uh, say, uh, admonish Christians to be distant from the world. Uh, When I say world, I mean kind of the non-Christian influence, um, worldly revelry, uh, non-Christian music. That was a big thing in in my day. Uh, I think... Generations before, it was like, don't go dancing, (laughs) don't drink, all those sort of things. Distance yourself from the world. Don't be like them. How is this passage applicable to us? Well, before kind of answering that, I I, I want to talk about kind of conversations, say, with non-Christians or people uh, considering Christianity. Many people will not become a Christian because of what they understand, rightly or wrongly, regarding what they must give up. That sense of they must stop something, give up something. And for many, like if I'm in a conversation with a non-Christian, I will find there's this sense that maybe they're being drawn to the truth, that the claims of Jesus... And all of a sudden, there's just throwing out arguments. What about this? And what about that? And what do Christians think about this? And all of them feel like uh, these are kind of red herrings. These are, these are not what you're really interested in. But I get a sense that it's, it's more to the point like if I was to become a Christian, I would have to give up X, Y, Z. And those things make me happy. They give me meaning. I like my lifestyle the way it is i 'm not accountable I don't want to be accountable. My life has a certain status to it, and if I become a Christian, I think I will go down the social the, you know the, the social status, the, the rung there. I have an identity, and I don 't want that to be changed by being a Christian. Now if I was to have an honest Conversation with someone and they were willing to admit, hey, becoming a Christian, you know, <laughs> that requires change. How what, what am I meant to do? If I was having that sort of conversation, I, I would like to say something along the lines of God loves you. God loves us. But there are things in our lives, yours, mine, that actually keep us estranged from God. We're separated. And those things ultimately aren't healthy for your body and soul. It has been said, since God loves you as you are, he won't leave you as you are. He wants to bring a change in your life that is for good. I would go on to say that many people who become Christians experience a whole reprioritizing of their values. And this is God's gift to them, the gift of his spirit that ushers in all these changes into our lives. For some people who have habits and addictions, they might uh, find that in coming to Christ, those very things are broken there and then, and they have such a transformation. There's no longer the desire. And for many people, they will experience love and joy and a, a sense of soul well-being, These are great things, and yet there is a cost to following Christ. You're right. It costs our lives to be a follower of Jesus. You have lived for yourself, and to become a Christian, you surrender that autonomy, and you confess Jesus as Lord. What's that mean? He's your Lord. He's in charge. You live for him. So you see, what I would like to point out, if I'm having that conversation, is that yes, God is at work in Christians. Transforming them. Giving them uh, new values. Bringing them into the, the likeness of Jesus Christ, his son. And yet, the Christian is still a person. They still have desires. They, um, and sometimes those desires can be contrary to God's will often and contrary to Jesus Christ. So there's these kind of two natures within a within a Christian, two desires, and Paul speaks about this in of course Romans 8. And the difficulty for Christians is trying to discern between these desires. You know what what is of God and what is of me? What is my old nature? And that can be quite difficult. It doesn't sound like it would be, but it it can be. Um, Just yesterday, I was speaking with Karen, uh, Karen over here, who was um, telling me excitedly about a Hindu who has become a Christian at Monash, and um, great change in this man's life. He's really excited about his newfound faith, but then he's kind of hit some dilemmas already, Going home to his family, all of a sudden he's got these questions about: well, What can I eat? Or can I can I continue doing this, that, and the other? Uh, this food has probably been sacrificed or offered up to um, Hindu deities. Can I eat this? And it wasn't clear to him what's right, what's wrong. He's trying to to uh, work it out. A Christian is. A disciple, which basically means a Christian is a student. A Christian learns to navigate their life by faith. And what was happening in this man is that we can see the Holy Spirit's already at work within him as a new believer. There is a desire. The desire is there to live according to God's will. But discerning what that is, that can be the tricky part. That's where being a disciple uh, comes into play. Now, how do Christians navigate life? Living by faith is a lifelong learning experience. As I've said, a Christian has these two natures out from which there are two opposite desires at play. And questions begin to arise within a Christian's, can I do this or is this my old nature? And I think because of this, Christianity has experienced two extremes. One extreme is to be removed from the culture as far as possible. If there is any hint of worldliness and influence, run, uh, AKA Amish. You know, be as far away from the world as you can. You can't trust yourself there. The other extreme is to blend in, like a chameleon. Remove as many distinctions as possible. I think we should uh, want to avoid both extremes and seek wisdom through the scriptures. Let's think how this passage might apply to us today. Uh, Thinking back over some of those things I highlighted earlier, um, dating or marriage, does this mean Christians should not date non-Christians? Well, I don't think Paul has in this in mind when he brings this up in the passage. Uh, dating wasn't really a thing, as far as I know, from the ancient world. Marriages were basically arranged by families. Uh, yet, if, if a Christian had a decision who they should marry, and they would ask the Apostle Paul, he would say... Marry a fellow believer. In fact, he does just this in, in his uh, first letter to the Corinthians. He says, "Oh, if a Christian happens to become a widow or widower and they want to remarry, that's fine. Get married. Just make sure you marry a Christian. Uh, that, that's his advice. But Paul also recognizes that there are Christians who are married to non-believers And in this instance, what he says, you know, because maybe some of these Christians ask the question, should I continue being married? You know, and he would say, is your um, unbelieving wife or or husband happy to stay with you? If so, stay with them. You know, who knows? Hopefully, they might come to Christ themselves. That would be his point of view. So thinking about our context, if I, if I was in a, a counselling, kind of pastoral counselling role and someone came to me saying, oh, you know, they've got romantic kind of um, interest in someone else who's not a Christian, what would I say to that person? And, and this does happen, you know, people do get int- Christians are interested in people that aren't Christians and, and a lot of the time they might say, oh, well, maybe this person will be converted <laughs> by me being with them, you know. Uh, well, one response to that could be, well, maybe your faith will be compromised. And who knows? Uh, it's very difficult questions and, and very difficult to navigate. But things I would ask them to consider is, do your values align? You know, just try and see past the romance and the interest that's there and see whether you are aligned uh, in your values. Uh, Think about, you know, long-term, how would you want to bring up your children? Would you want to bring them up in the faith, in a church? Um, How would you want to use your money going forward? Um, Are you committed to giving, and and they would think that's odd? Um, You know, all these little things that will come up if you want to be uh, uh, living according to your faith, and they aren't. telling the truth in your tax return, all those sort of things. You know, that those will come up. Um, so they're, they're always worth considering. And marriage with another Christian now doesn't mean that just because you're both Christians, everything's going to work out fine. But if you're both seeking after God, seeking to be obedient to his will, that is a great foundation for a marriage. What about Christians and non-Christians? Like, um, you know, how do we kind of hang out with one another, or if at all? Is Paul saying, don't have any friends who are not Christian? Uh, Well, Paul deals with this very question in his first letter to the Corinthians. In fact, he brings up something where he must have formally said to them, uh, don't associate with anyone who's sexually immoral. And the Corinthians, being in Corinth, probably thought, well, that doesn't leave many people, and um, and then he clarifies in his last letter. He goes, actually, I'm not I'm not talking about the immoral people who aren't Christians because then you just have to leave the world, you know. And um, he says, I'm talking about those people who are a brother or sister in Christ, you know. They're, they're Christians but they're living an immoral life. Don't associate with them, you know. Withdraw from them is what he's saying. So, okay, Paul, how do we understand what you're saying? in your first letter, with what you're saying in this letter. Don't be mismatched with unbelievers and all those rhetorical questions, especially where he says, what does a believer share with an unbeliever? Christians are going to rub shoulders with non-Christians. Christians are to do good in the world. To do things that emulate the love of God toward others. To share that. And Paul would be the first one to throw himself in there among non-Christians. To rub shoulders with them. To be an influence for Christ. In fact, uh, in the first letter to the Corinthians, he says, To those outside the law, talking about non-Jews, Gentiles, um, I became like one outside the law, so that I might win those outside the law. So he's saying, I'm Jewish, but I'm going to appear not Jewish in order to appeal to the Gentiles that I'm ministering to. And he qualifies it with this: though I am not free from the law, from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So there's this kind of line that Christians have. Under Christ's law, there are things that are no-go zones that we should be abstaining from when we're with non-Christians. Peter writes something very similar when he writes to Christians throughout Asia. These were Gentiles who had had become Christians. And and, uh, he says to them, you know, you have learnt from Christ to live for God's will rather than your own desires. He acknowledges that. Big tick, you guys are doing really well. And then he writes this. You have already spent enough time doing what Gentiles like to do, living in licentious, licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation, indulgence, and so they blaspheme. The ancient world sounds so different from today's world, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I like the bit where he says, you no longer join them. So in other words, they like their friendship group, but there are certain things that Christians will say, yeah, hey guys, I'm out of this. You know, Sorry, I'm, I'm not going to do this. What might this look like in today's... Uh, imagine a young man or if he becomes a Christian... And they're, uh, with all their mates, invited to a Bucks party. And it's going to be a really big party. And, um, you know, the plan is to maybe go to King Street afterwards or something, you know. And the Christian's like, hey, guys, um, yeah, I'll come out. I'll spend some time with you. I'll have a few drinks, but I'm not going to get wasted. And when you go off to King Street, I'm, I'm checking out. I'm going home. That's enough for me. Know. And they might think, yeah, well, what are you? Or wow, who, who knows? But it's, it's a way of saying, hey, I, you guys are my friends, I love you, but there's a line. And I live for Christ. I'm opting out. Now, I'm sure a female equivalent to that sort of story, um, but there are times where we say, this, this is the line and no further for us. What about culture? how do Christians navigate the surrounding culture and take part in it, if at all? Well, every generation of Christians throughout the church history, I think, focuses on an aspect of the culture uh, that they seek to abstain from. So early church was, let's abstain from going to the theatre. Later on, like I think probably in the 1950s, it was like Christians shouldn't go dancing. Um, Later on, it was probably Christians shouldn't watch TV or have a TV. Um, some people probably still live like this. Uh, or Christians shouldn't consume alcohol. Uh, probably in the, the 80s, it was, you know, Christians should only listen to Christian music or, or only certain genres. And definitely rock and roll is not part of that. Um, these are all issues of former times. And I think some Christians can remove themselves so much from the culture that they actually lose the ability to understand, to assess their culture, to be winsome, to be able to reach out, to be able to say, here's a point of contact with Christ and the culture. I love the way Paul is able to reach the culture and understand it. Uh, It's often brought up that when he um, preaches in Athens... He's preaching to Greeks, he's preaching to uh, philosophers, Epicurean, Stoic, and what does he quote? He doesn't quote the Old Testament to them, he quotes Greek poets. As some of your poets have said, and he will quote them. So he's finding points of connection, you'll say, oh, one of your poets said this, and it's actually true. It's true about God, it's true about humanity. Here's a point of connection. It connects with what I'm saying. It connects with ultimate reality, with who God is. I've hit 20 minutes. (laughs) And Christians, I think, need to be like that. Be able to engage the culture, understand it. For a new Christian, I would say, read the scriptures, immerse yourself in it, learn from it, What I love about new Christians is they they usually, they get the culture, and as they come into Christ, they see those points of connection really quickly, and they have their own language for for being able to convey it. It's great. Get immersed in the scriptures, and get someone who's a mature Christian to disciple and train you through. Uh, For older Christians, I would say, um, you may have been so overly Christianized that When you speak, you've got Christian lingo and you don't realize that most people that listen to you don't understand what you're talking about. So um, read about culture. (laughs) Read about philosophies in the world and and try and understand it, if you've got a good biblical knowledge and try and see those points of connections. There's a great book out uh, recently called uh, Critical Biblical... uh, Thank you. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. I have heard really good things about it, and I'm looking forward to engaging with that. One thing I really like about Mike Rader, who's come here to preach before, uh, excellent preacher, and he is constantly reading uh, books on culture, especially Australian culture, reading non-Christians, always looking uh, to be able to connect with his audience. Uh, and that's what we should be like as mature Christians. How do we find those points of connection that we might win people over for Christ? Okay. Over 20 minutes. I'll drop the last point. Another possible interpretation. If you want to find out about that, come and see me afterwards. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Continue to build within us that desire to be like your son, to follow after him, for him to be Lord of everything in our life. Let us not be distracted by our old nature. Help us to understand what it means to follow Christ in our time, in this world, in this place. I pray that we might be empowered by the Spirit to do that and to live holy lives that glorify you, in Jesus' name, amen.